Good morning, church. Before I start, I would like to, uh, and I I don't know what Dan said, I was late getting here. That's my bad, I apologize. Uh, But I would like to say Happy Mother's Day to those of you who are mothers. Now, sometimes that's a difficult and painful day because not everybody is a mother. Some of us have lost our mothers, and this day for some people is filled with lots of joy because their kids are there, and for other people, it might be that there's some loneliness there. But I want to say this. I am grateful for mothers. I'm grateful for the mother God gave me. I acknowledge some people may not have had as good a mother as I had. Some might have had a better one. I don't know. I doubt it. But I just don't have one mother. I have a number of mothers. When I went to college, Marvin Joan Nimala, they took me in, they mentored me, she mothered me spiritually, she fed me physically. They allowed me to become part of their family. Marvin's gone to be the Lord. Joan is still alive, and I still consider her one of my mothers. And if you happen to be one of those lonely ones, I just want to suggest that God has something better for you, that you can be a spiritual mother, and you will find much joy and satisfaction in that. Well, that's not the sermon today, but I did not want to ignore mothers on Mother's Day. And I appreciate the Holy Spirit giving me the words to say for that. Um, Today we're going to look at uh, the parable of the lost son. Uh, Two weeks ago we looked at it, and we looked at the, uh, the the relationship of the father and the prodigal son. Honestly, I'm going to make the point that they're both prodigals the older son and the younger son. They're both prodigals. But we looked at the younger son last week, or two weeks ago. This week we're going to look at the older son and his relationship to his father. And I think it'll be just as telling. Now last week we said that uh, 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 a parable is a story. And because it's a story, a story is told to make a point or to to substantiate or to to explain a point. We cannot make doctrine out of stories. However, if points of the story have scriptures that support that doctrine, we certainly can pull those scriptures in and pull other things out of the story that can help us in living life in a godly manner. And that's what we've been doing two weeks ago. And I didn't preach last week, so I'm not saying we didn't do that last week, but that's what we're going to do today. Let's review the story in Luke chapter 15, starting in verse 11. Then he said, a certain man had two sons, and the younger said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided them to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions, possessions with prodigal living. That's wasteful living. Prodigal means wasteful. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine, lack of planning. 
no, no emergency fund. Um, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed the swine. And he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight and am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring out the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet, and bring the fatted calf here and kill it, and let us eat and be merry. For my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. Now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. But he was angry and would not go in. Therefore his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and he said to his father, Lo, these many years I have been serving you. I never transgressed your commandment at any time, and yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours comes, came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me. And all that I have is yours. It was right that we should be, make merry and be glad. For your brother was dead and is alive again. Was lost and is found. We're going to skip to slide 15 because I did 14 before that. We saw how much God our Father loves us from a deeper understanding of how much the prodigal father loved his son. That's what we looked at two weeks ago. We also affirmed that when we repent, we get the best robe, the robe of righteousness. And God puts a ring on our finger. It represents the authority of the household of God or the kingdom of God. And he puts sandals on our feet. We said last week, only, only slaves did not wear sandals. The master, the owner, the family, they all wore sandals. And God gives us sandals to carry the good news of his kingdom to this world. Today, as we take a fresh look at the prodigal son, we want to look more deeply into what the scripture says about the ramifications of the father's relationship with the older son. And in the story Jesus told, we see the elder son coming home from toiling in the fields, and he hears, he hears a party going on. And so he calls one of the servants, and he says, what's happening? What's going on? 
And the servant tells him, your, your brother's come home, your father has killed the fatted calf, and we are making merry. In Jewish tradition, the, the fatted calf was a specially fed young cow that was kept for eating on special occasions. In this parable, Jesus used the fatted calf to speak of himself as the sacrifice and the feast or the Eucharist that come when the father embraces a repentant sinner. Among Abraham's cattle herding ancestors, a fatted calf was sacrificed and eaten to solemnize covenants upon resolving disputes over water rights and when making reconciliation between opposing parties. Clearly, the fatted calf is not merely a metaphor of celebration for someone's long-awaited uh, return. Not only represents celebration, but it also represents bloodshed for the forgiveness of the prodigal son's sins. Now the elder son gets angry and refuses to go in. And we pick up that story again in Luke 15, 28. But he was angry and would not go in. Therefore his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered him and said to his father, Lo, these many years I have been serving you. I never transgressed your commandment at any time. And yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours came who has devoured your livelihood with harlots. You killed the fatted calf for him. Notice, he doesn't say, my brother. He says, that son of yours has nothing to do with me. I'm innocent in all this. You're the problem. He's the problem. I'm the only one that's right here. Boy, too many times I've tried to say that to God. Doesn't ever turn out well either. And in part, maybe the problem is with the, in this story was with the Father. But our Father in heaven is perfect. The problem is never with Him. And when I look at God in anger, feeling betrayed, the problem isn't with God. The problem's with me. And that was the case with the elder son. His heart was not right. He resented his younger brother. He resented his father. He, he was as spiritually guilty of sin as the younger son was. But he couldn't see it. And how many in the body of Christ look down at fallen saints in disdain? Forgetting that except for the grace of God, there go we. Now there is a time to treat a sinner as a backslidden sinner as unsaved. But whether you're saved or not saved, I, let me say that different. Whether you're backslidden or unsaved, we still should treat you the same. You know, too many times we look at things like homosexuality, adultery, embezzlement, stealing. And somehow 
we say, you are worse for doing that than I am for lying. Than I am for wasting my money on, I don't know, gambling, smoking, drinking. Jesus said, if you break the law at one point, you're guilty of breaking the whole law. Every sinner is equally bad in God's sight. The only one who has the right to look on us with disdain is God the Father. And yet he chooses not to because of Jesus. I think we need a little bit more of God the Father's compassion when we look at other sinners. In all we must love as the Father loves. Recognize sin for what it is, yes. But condemn, condemn the sin, not the sinner. God loves them and longs for them to be restored. Next we see the elder son's attempt to justify his superiority over his younger brother because of the good works he has done. Remember, he says, I obeyed your every commandment. I did everything you ever told me to do. And yet you didn't kill a young goat for me, much less the fatted calf. You know, value does not come from what we do, but why we do what we do. Character comes from the soul. And the best works for the wrong, done with the wrong motivations gain the do or nothing in God's eyes. Do you think Jesus went to the centurion's servant to heal him because the servant or the centurion helped build the temple in Rome? No. Jesus went to the centurion's servant because he loved the servant. Because the servant had a need. It didn't matter what the centurion did. It wasn't a matter of works. It was a matter of relationship, a matter of love, compassion. I see Jesus communicating the older brother's resentment of the father. He resents the father for taking him for granted and seems to show preference for the younger son. Now, it doesn't say that in those scriptures, but if I looked at the older son's response to the father, it seems like at that moment, anyhow, the older son felt that way. And I love the father's reply. Luke 15, verses 31 through 32. And he said to him, Son... You are always with me. And all I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad. For your brother was dead and is alive, was lost and found. And you know, I think so many times we look at that and see your brother who is dead is alive, was lost and found. That's a great thing. But we skip, we miss the first part. Everything I have is yours. I, I have 
not a great set of tools, but I have a number of tools. My son Peter has a number of tools. He has his own toolbox. I have my own toolbox in the garage. You need to get rid of one of them because there's not enough room for both of them. <laughs> but the tools keep getting put back in different places in different boxes. Today, I don't know what's mine and what's his. But it doesn't matter because all that I have is his. That's what God is saying to us. All that I have is yours. And yet so many times we walk through life as the, product, as the older son, toiling away and forgetting what all is at our disposal. Many times we toil in frustration. A few years back, the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart. And he said, Wayne, why are you mad at me? Why are you angry with me? And you know, I didn't even realize until he said that, that I was angry and resentful towards God. But it was true. I was angry with God that my life was not all peaches and cream. I was frustrated over the needless toil of life. I was angry because it seemed like God was not answering my prayers. And yet, I live in the most prosperous country in the world. I have a nice house, two-car garage. I have food on my table. I have healthy children who love the Lord. I have a wonderful wife. What am I complaining about? What am I... Consider people in India or in Matamoros, the people that I saw living in the dump. They live there so they can dig through the dump and hopefully find something not too rotten to eat. And I'm complaining because my life isn't all peaches and cream, because there's thorns in my rose bed. Lord, have mercy. The Holy Spirit spoke to me again in my understanding and said, I am faithful, Wayne. I do not lie. I love you more than you even know. If it seems otherwise, the issue is not with me. I was the elder son. I resented God for not giving me heaven here on earth. And yet Jesus said in John 14, verses uh, 13 and 14, And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do for you that my Father may be glorified. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. Everything God has is mine. It's yours. What was my problem? Well, actually, I had four problems. My first problem was I didn't ask in Jesus' name. In part, what that means is if I would ask as Jesus would ask, too often I didn't ask as Jesus would ask. I asked as Wayne would ask. Second, if we look in Mark 11, uh, 24, Therefore I say to you, whatever things you ask and you pray, believe that you receive them, and you will have them. I want you to notice. Rece believe that you receive them now. 
you will have them future tense. It might be a second from now. It might be a minute from now, an hour from now, a day from now, a month from now. I don't know when, but he promises it will come if you believe that you receive it now. You believe that it's yours now. But remember, it's asking in his name. Third, in James chapter 4, uh, verses 1 through 3, what causes quarrels and causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war with you? That you desire and, <coughs> excuse me, you desire and do not have, so you murder? You covet and, uh, and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel? You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly. You spend it on your passions. I didn't have heaven on earth. I didn't have all of the American dream. I don't own a $300,000 house. I don't have two Porsches in my garage. I do have a family with four kids. The more important part, actually. We ask wrongly because we ask it to suffice our passions. You know, Jesus, the, the Bible never says that God will allow us to, to suffice all of our passions. The Bible says prosperity is having enough to meet your needs and to help meet the needs of others. The problem is my needs are the American dream. And that's not God's needs, is it? What, does, what do we really need? We need water to drink. We need food to eat. We need clothing and shelter to keep us warm or cool, as the case may be. We need other people to love us and to love. That's what our needs are. Oh, and we need Jesus. I'm sorry, don't want to forget that one. We need Jesus. Fourth, I allowed disillusionment and discouragement to steal my faith and change my worldview that Jesus has given all authority to me to do the works that he did and greater works than that in his name. I cannot obtain the future by looking at back at the past. I said that two weeks ago. i got to say it again. I cannot obtain the future by looking back at the past. I must keep my eyes on God's word and his promises because that's where we know faith comes from. Faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of God. Again, all God has is ours, but we need to receive it on his terms, not our terms. Salvation, the gate to God's kingdom, is on God's terms through Jesus Christ. Not our terms. Buddha, Mohammed, no other religious terms will get us through the gate. Because God is looking for personal relationship, not religion. Now, if we want to be used of God to further his kingdom on earth and enrich our lives in so doing, we must do it on God's terms and not be resentful that God's terms aren't what we would set our terms to be. And that begins with remembering and believing 
that all God has is ours. He has given it to us. Second Peter chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ our Lord. That knowledge only comes by studying the Word and getting down on our knees in prayer and communicating with He who created us and loves us so much. As His divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us by glory and virtue. I want to stop there. You see, I was mad at God not because I wasn't a mature Christian, not because I had perfect faith, not because I could remember I could recite the scriptures from heart, not because I loved so well or not so well. I was upset about the fact that I didn't have enough money to hire servants to do the work that I didn't want to do. I was upset that I didn't have a nicer house, nicer cars, that the things I asked for, for me, that God didn't give me. It's, it's, that's, <coughs> it's not that it's not important to God, but it's a shelf down. Top shelf is living life to the fullest of God's provision. And that really is not how much money I have, how many houses I own, how much, what kind of car I drive, what kind of clothes I wear. It really comes from what's in my heart. Now Jesus is in my heart, but there's a lot of rooms he's knocking at that I haven't left him in yet. That's why I don't have. It's not because God doesn't want to bless me with material things, but the more important part is he wants to bless me with himself. He wants me to be exactly like Jesus. The works Jesus did, I should be able to do. He wants me to get there, but it's got to be on his terms, not my terms. My focus needs to be on him, not what I have or don't have in this world. By which has been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises. Exceedingly great and precious promises in his word. That through these you may be partakers of the divine nature. Having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Isn't that what we really want is to be partakers of his divine nature? To have, to have the same nature that he has? That's why Adam and Eve ate of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. They wanted to be like God. Is that a bad thing? No. Was it a disobedient thing? Absolutely. We should want to be like Jesus. We should want to have that divine nature in us. We should want to have his heart. We should want to have his understanding of the world so that we could deal with the world and those in it the way he did. God has done his part and doesn't change. It's now our part to appropriate the exceedingly great and precious promises through faith. Faith. Hebrews 1, 11, 1 says, Faith is the, it's not in the, 
slides. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. I really enjoy Perry Mason. It's on twice a day, and being retired, I get to see it at least once a day. <laughs> I really enjoy it because of how they put the evidence together. And sometimes it points in a direction that doesn't seem to be. But when you get to the end, the evidence brings out the truth. Evidence is something concrete, something solid. And so Jesus says, if I appropriate those precious promises by faith, receive it now, believe I receive it now, that's the evidence of things not seen. And I will have it. Future tense again. So come to God's throne of grace boldly to find help in the time of need. That's why it's open to you. I used to worry about slushing into the throne room of God with my muddy boots, my muddy shoes. God doesn't mind. Oh yeah, he'd rather that I had clean shoes. But he'd rather have me there even stinking with pig done than not at all. The reason I go there is to get my shoes cleaned. Actually, my heart cleaned, right? That's to come in time of need. Luke chapter 12, verse 31, 32 says, Do not fear, little flock. Do you have fears? I have some fears. I have fear that something might happen in the stock market and my retirement may not get me till Jesus takes me home. Where's my faith? It's in the stock market? It's in my retirement fund? Or is it in Jesus? I shouldn't have that fear, right? Because I know whether, no matter what happens to the stock market, Jesus has me in his hand. He's got my back. He's going to take care of me. He's promised me the things that I need, they will be there. I will prosper regardless of what happens to our economy. You have fears? You don't need to. You don't need to live with fears. Most people have a fear of dying. Christians should not. Now, I have a fear of not accomplishing what I should before I die, but I don't fear death. Because I know death is going to bring a greater reward, a greater life than I have in this world. But only because of Jesus Christ. Those who don't have Jesus in their heart, who have not received Jesus as their Savior, they should fear death. Because it brings horrible, eternal, everlasting punishment. Do not fear, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Do you fear witnessing? It's God's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. If he points someone out to you, be bold. Walk up. 
Introduce yourself. Tell them how much God loves you. And oh, by the way, he loves you that much too. Can I introduce you to my friend Jesus? God is, it's his goodwill to give us the kingdom. In a few, uh, I don't know, weeks or months, we're going to be talking about the gifts of the Spirit. It is God's goodwill to give you the gifts of the Spirit. To have you function in the same power that Jesus functioned in. It's his good will to do that. And just like salvation, you can't earn it. You're not good enough for it. You have to receive it by faith. It's imperative that we understand what Father God is saying to us through the story of the Father and the eldest Son. All I have is yours. All God has is ours. Accept it on his terms. Use it on his terms. Both the younger son and the elder son were sinners. Still, their father loved them and gave all he had to both of them. Let us not be like the younger son and squander God's riches at Christ's expense. And let us not be like the older son and forget that all that our father has is ours. Behold, be bold. Take all that God has given you to invest in his kingdom work. It's yours. He's given to you. It's it's been his good pleasure to give it to you. He's already done his part. Now all we have to do is walk in faith, receive, believe that we receive, and we will have. Father, in the name of Jesus, this morning, Lord, I thank you for mothers. I thank you for the blessing of them. I thank you, Father, for your son, Jesus. I thank you for your written word. And I thank you for this love story that Jesus told us. That, that demonstrates how much you love us, how needy we are, and how much you desire to give us your kingdom. So this morning, Father, I pray that each and every person here would take hold of what the Spirit is saying, would be bold, would not look to the past, but continue to look to the future with new resolve, with new passion, with new encouragement. And may we all become Jesus with skin on. Thank you, Father, in the name of Jesus.